So when I was a freshman in college, I wanted to uh, invite a young lady to go to homecoming with me, and I wanted to impress her enough that she would say yes. Uh, so I decided that I came up with a good invitation plan. I borrowed a rich friend's cell phone because at that time, um, only rich kids had cell phones back in the late 90s. And then I went down the, the, the hall of my dorm wing and I got some clothes from some fancier uh, friends of mine. And then I bought some roses. And then I went to the second floor or I went to the outside of her dorm. She was up on the second floor, but it, it looked out outside. And so I went to her window and I called her on uh, my rich friend's cell phone, and she picked up in her room, and I told her to look out the window. And when she did so, there were two of my friends standing behind me, and they had lighters in their hand and, uh, and hairspray. And they, would start, they started doing little poofs of flame behind me, just to add to the, the aura of, of um, romance there. And then off to the side was a guy with a boom box, because that's what we used back then. And the boombox is playing some nice romantic music. I don't know, maybe it was like Kenny G or something like that, just playing away. And then uh, when she looked out and all this was going on, I read her this poem. I said, roses are red, violets are blue. If I buy tickets, can I go to homecoming with you? Well, what do you think she said? I mean, come on. How can you say no to an invitation like that? She actually said, what? She couldn't hear me. She couldn't hear me after all that. So then I yelled up. I said, will you go to homecoming with me? Yeah. And there we are. There's a picture of us. My son put this PowerPoint together yesterday. When he saw the picture, he's like, is that you? And I said, yes, that's me. That's me 20-something years ago. Now, I'd say I'm a little biased here, but that was a good invitation. But in our passage, we're going to see an even better invitation because God is going to do even better because he has at his disposal angels and glory. And this invitation is going to cause much wonder around the area. And so we're going to take a look at the story. And as we do that, we're going to focus just on one element of the story in verses 8 through 20 that comes out of it. Uh, Now, the little background to the passage in the preceding verses that we're going to look at, Caesar Augustus called for all the people to be registered, and Joseph and his very pregnant fiance uh, had to go to Bethlehem. They were living in a different area, but he had to go to his hometown to check in. And so off they go, and she gets uh, she goes into labor while they're traveling. I was just thinking, how horrible would that be to be like traveling, uh, you, you know, at a on your way to visit family across the country, and there you are pregnant, and then, and then you go into labor, and you stop at the first place, and, and they're like, Motel 6, they're like, sorry, no room. Uh, where do I go from here? I'm about to have a baby. And that's what was happening with them. Now, we don't actually know when Jesus was officially born. Some say it was, a, it was in the springtime because that's when shepherds went out. But other uh, commentaries and theologians say that shepherds went out all times of the year. And so it wasn't until around the year 200 that they actually came up with a date for Christmas and that they actually began celebrating Christmas because they didn't celebrate Christmas for 
the first one or two hundred years. And so they came up with the date of January 6th. They thought that the crucifixion happened on April 6th, and so they came up with the date of conception by adding nine months. And so uh, Jesus must have been conceived on the date of the crucifixion. That would happen, so you add nine months and you get January 6th. I investigated a little bit, and my calculations for for April 6th, if you add 40 weeks or 280 days, you actually come up with January 11th. So I don't know, maybe they thought Jesus was born five days early. I don't know. But then a hundred years after that, the date was moved to December 25th to align with winter solstice because that was a pagan holiday, but a lot of pagans were coming to know Jesus at that time. And so they moved the holiday to sort of to, to fit with them, to reach them. And December 25th since then has stuck. So I say all that to say we don't know the official date of when Jesus was born, but that's not really the point. The point is that Jesus was born, and now we're going to see what happens after that at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in, in, in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Hmm, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Skip to verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, there's just one theme here that I want to narrow in. This is a big story that we could look at. I want to focus on just one part, that little theme that comes up throughout. So let me reread three verses here. Verse 9 says again, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Verse 14, the angels proclaim, Glory to God in the highest. And then in verse 20 it says, And the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. Now, in this little passage, in these 12 or 13 verses, we see the the word glory or some form of the word glory appear three different times. Why is it? Why is there this repetition of this word? And the answer to this is why Christmas is so special. And this is what I'm going to talk about today. And then after I talk about what it is and why it's so special, I'm going to talk about why this is important for us to know. 
And so let's begin by answering the question, what is the glory of the Lord? And I'll also talk about why is it so special. So what is the glory of the Lord? Glory is a tough word to define. Richard, can you help me out here by um, grabbing this thing? Um, thank you. I want you to think of it like a donut here. Now, we have it on the big screen. And Josiah came up with that picture. I said, that's a good looking donut right there. I have a similar donut here in the bag, just so my hands don't get all sticky. But on this donut, we have the, the outside, the sugar. We have the sugar. And then we have the dough. And then on the inside, we have the filling. And glory is a tough word to define, but I want you to think of it as a bit like a donut. It's multiple parts. And so let's talk about each part as we go deeper into it. So the first part is that glory means honor and praise. Honor and praise. This is like the the sugary outside. It's the sweet part. Romans 11.36 says, To him, to him be glory forever. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So here Paul's referring to giving praise to God. So when the angels in verse 14 say glory to God in the highest, they're saying glory and praise to God in the highest. Listen, we live in a culture that loves to give glory and praise to people. Politicians are idolized and praised. Movie stars are followed and cheered. Musicians pack stadiums of screaming fans. And sports games take hours out of our our attention and hours of our emotion. And I'm not saying that it's bad to cheer for people that we like. But in the midst of praising everyone else, have you missed out on praising the creator of the world? Have you missed out? God spoke the world into existence. Genesis 1. He holds all things together. Colossians 1. All things were made through him. John 1. And Jesus loved us so much that he died for us. John 3. And so in the midst of all this praising going on in our culture, are you glorifying the one who most deserves it? So that's the first thing. That's the first part. That's the sugary outside, giving honor and praise to God. But glory is also something else. This gets a little bit deeper, so hang with me here. It is the visible revelation of the attributes of God. To explain what I mean here, let me read Exodus chapter 33, a few verses from here, starting in verse 18. Moses said to God, he said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you, my attributes pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, And while my glory passes by, so again, he's talking about while he passes by, but he's saying it's my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, 
So he, again, he, he's intermingling here. He's mixing the, his physical presence with his glory. And you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So Moses asked to see God's glory. And God says, oh, sort of, you'll see, I'll pass by you. You'll see my goodness and you'll see part of my glory. And that glory there is an attribute of actually of God himself. In the next chapter, that glory has shone onto Moses, and we won't look at it, but Moses goes around shining for a moment, almost like at nighttime. My kids have some of those stars on their ceiling, the glow-in-the-dark stars, and so you don't notice them until you turn off the lights, and all of a sudden, poof, you know, the, the light's off, they're shining through. They've, they've just taken in that light, and now they're shining it out. And that's, so God's glory, his attributes, shined out onto Moses, and then Moses went around shining out to other people. We read in Revelation 21, verse 23, that in heaven, there's no need for a sun because the glory of God actually gives light to people. The glory of God lights up the place. These are all visible revelations of God. They're revelations of God. They're characteristics of God, but they're ones that we see with our eyes. So let's go a little bit deeper. If glory is the visible revelation of the attributes of God, then the most visible revelation of God is Jesus Christ himself. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1. He, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of of his nature. And so Jesus is, is God in glory. He's the glory of God. And he shines out the glory of God. And that's why in John chapter 11, Jesus is talking to people. And Jesus equates believing in him with seeing the glory of God. And that's why in John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. We've seen his glory. And so Jesus is the ultimate glory of God. Now let's go back to our passage. In verse 9, it's no wonder that the birth of Jesus Christ has some glory in it. Because Jesus, the God made flesh, has now come to this earth. And it says in verse 9, the glory of God shone around them. So because Jesus is the radiance of God's glory... He had just come to this earth, and that's why the angels were ready to party it up. That's why when, when they start proclaiming it, there, there's this big party going on in heaven. That's why the shepherds end in verse 20, praising God for what they had seen. Listen, this is not just an average birth. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords being born. This is the great I am coming to rescue his people. This is why we celebrate Christmas. It's nice to give presents. It's nice to gather as a family. But even greater than that is to celebrate that Jesus Christ, the radiance of God's glory, came to save us. He came for us. And so I want to encourage you, don't miss out on that fact. As you go throughout this Christmas holiday, don't get so caught up in the presence. Don't get so caught up in the holiday spirit that you miss out on the main thing that Jesus came in the fullness of God's glory for us. For us. 
Last month, one of my kids' Kindles, for those of you who don't know, it's a little reading device, like a little electronic reader, and it broke. Uh, It apparently updated overnight. Amazon forced an update on it. And then by the morning time, it was dead. And so my daughter comes to me. She's like, what do I do? It's broken. And so I call Amazon. And I say, hey, you updated our Kindle, and it broke in the middle of the update. So fix it. And they said, oh, we are so sorry. They, They were so affirming and so loving. And in the end, they said, sorry, there's nothing we can do about it. And so I said, well, let me speak to someone else who can do something about it. And so they transferred me to someone else. And she was so loving and so affirming. And then she said, sorry, I can't do anything. Here, I'll do this for you. I'll give you a 10% discount if you buy our new Kindle. I said, I don't want a new Kindle. I just want this one that was working the night before that broke when you updated it to work again. And they said, sorry, we can't do anything about it. So I said, let me speak to someone else. And this is the hopeless word she told me. She said, you can't talk to anyone else. I'm as far as you can go. There's no one else to talk to. And I said, well, let me talk to someone to complain. And she said, I am that person. There's no one else. And and here I was, stuck in sort of that big bureaucracy called Amazon, where to one, one little Amazon user, they could care less about. You know, one person, uh, they, they make billions of dollars a year. And so when a person, a customer support person says, sorry, I was stuck. There was nothing else I could do other than buy a new one. But listen to this. Jesus, or God, did not just send us a lackey. God did not just send us a low-level customer support person to help us. God sent himself in the flesh. God sent the glory of himself, Jesus Christ, the radiance of God's glory. And if that doesn't show, I don't know what does, that he cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for me. And his coming at Christmas time shows just how much he cares. And so now that we've seen a little bit about what glory is, I want to talk about why it's important. Let's go back to our donut. This is, by the way, one of my kids' favorite donuts, uh, the jelly filled. Now we have the sugary outside, we have the the dough, but then we have the the jelly in the middle. Now I just want you to think about for a moment, what, what happens when you squeeze a donut that has jelly in the middle of it. The jelly comes out. And what you're doing here is that that the sugary outside and the doughy part starts to press in on the jelly, and then the jelly starts to come out. Let's see if we can get that. There you go. That's a good-looking donut now. But the jelly came out when the dough starts to press in on it. And that's what I want you to think about as the third part of glory. You see, we are the third part. 
We as Christians are the filling. You see, the closer that Jesus gets to us, the more real that he gets to us, the more that really, and, and hypothetically, or uh, symbolically speaking, like the donut, the more that he presses in on us, the more glory that we will give out. You see, Christians are designed to give glory to Jesus. We are designed to give glory to Jesus. Isaiah chapter 43 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I what? Whom I created for my glory. And you may be thinking, Kyle, doesn't that just mean that we're called to praise him? Like what we did this morning in church where we sang about him? And, and yes, yes, that's one part of glory where we should praise him. We should give him glory. And so I want to encourage you when you wake up in the morning, spend a moment and praise him. Spend a moment and, and sing a song praising him. As you're driving to, to work, and before you turn on the radio, take a moment and, and say a few praises about your Savior as a family or as a couple. Spend a few minutes each day telling God how amazing he is. And maybe you're thinking, I, I don't know how to praise him. All right, well then open up the Psalms and pull out a psalm that, uh, that, that is a psalm of praise and read that. For example, in Psalm 19. Let's look at just the, the first three verses. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals the knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Now, not only have you just gotten into scripture right there, but you've just given God glory in a very biblical, a very theologically sound way. And so I want to encourage you, praise him with your words. But don't let, that, don't let it stop there because there's more to praising him than just with your words. Now that Jesus has come to this earth and once you put your faith in Jesus, his spirit comes and lives inside of us. We as Christians are literally little pieces of God's glory walking around. Listen to first, uh, 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul could have easily have just said, eh, God gave us the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But instead he says, God has shown his glory into our hearts. And so as Christians, we are walking around with a little piece of glory, of his glory, inside of us. You see, not only are Christians called to speak glory to God, but Christians are designed to give, to shine glory, the glory of Jesus to others. I came across an interesting article this week about the, the Chernobyl disaster. And this is where in April of 1986... There is a nuclear disaster, so it took radiation that was safely contained in the power plant, but then when it exploded, it, it went out into the atmosphere and really went all around the, the earth there. And so here's a little diagram. This is what the radiation levels are in March of 1986 in America, thousands of miles away. 
Now, fast forward to April of 1986, and we see radiation levels start to spike, mostly over on the west. And then by May of 1986, we have the entire, almost the entire United States, except for some reason, Maryland, where I was as a six-year-old at that time. But most of the rest of the country has high levels of radiation during that time. Now, why do I bring up the nuclear disaster here on a Christmas morning, or Christmas sermon? Because we as Christians are called to shine out the presence, the glory of Jesus Christ, just like that radiation did wherever it went. That's what we are to be as Christians. When we become a Christian and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, his glory starts to shine out through us wherever we go. And so we are walking around, wherever we go, giving glory to people. Not just with our words, but with our entire lives. Matthew, or Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So simply, by living life, in a way that glorifies God, you can give God glory. So in one sense, this is right living, but in another sense, this is simply living. It's simply living. So it's not like you're saying, I'm going to live in a Christian way and dress right and do... No, it's simply by just having God's Spirit inside of you and having the fruit of the Spirit inside of you that as you walk around, you will just shine God's glory out to other people. And so that's why Paul gives an example that you can give God glory by eating and drinking. 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, how do you give God glory while you're eating and drinking? I mean, are you supposed to be like, glory to God? No, it's, it's not in what you say. It's your attitude, it's your heart, it's as, as, you, as you are eating. It's that act of, of thankfulness, that heart of thankfulness. It, it's that as God is just shining out of you, you can glorify God with the most menial task in life. So as we follow him, as we obey him, and as we serve him, we just have his glory in our life, and then we emanate it out. To those around us. I remember a couple years ago, back when, back when uh, coffee houses were open to sit in, uh, I was doing my sermon there at, a, at the Starbucks in Londonderry. And I worked all afternoon at the Starbucks. And then I came home. And, uh, and then I had, did my normal things. And then around midnight, I was working my sermon again. And you, you know, you, those of you who've been at Starbucks, you know that it, it has a strong coffee smell. And so you, you can't go in and out without just sort of becoming that smell. And so my watch band must have just sort of sucked in that smell. And so at midnight, I was typing away and I just sort of went like this. And the smell, that, that sweet smell of coffee, which I, the taste I hate so much, but I love the smell, just wafted into my nose. And I was like, oh, yummy coffee. And so that's what we are. That's what we are as Christians, that as we walk around. 
That is, we are sharing, shining the glory of Jesus. Even if we don't speak it with our words, they should see the glory of Christ in us so that even as they get in contact with us and then walk off, the, the, the glory sort of just permeates them as well. So I want to encourage you. Give God glory wherever you're at. Give Him glory with your life as well. So when you eat with your family at Christmas time, you can glorify Him. When you drive to work this week, you can glorify Him simply by living, simply by working in whatever kind of work you're in, simply by going to the grocery store, whatever tasks, as unreligious as they seem, you can glorify God. Listen, you do not have to be a pastor to glorify God. Wherever you are at, whoever you are, you can give God glory. Think about the shepherds who were a very low class of people. The shepherds, one person said, are the type of job that you end up in, not the type of job you choose. They lived outside with stinking animals and they likely smelled all day long. They never went to the temple, and so they were likely a very unchurched, unreligious people. They were a bit scandalous because they, they couldn't, their testimony was not even valid in court in that time. Yet it was these types of people that the angels proclaim the birth of Jesus Christ to. Have you ever stopped to think about the significance of that? That the first people who heard about Jesus couldn't even legally testify to what they had seen. No matter where you are at, you can give God glory. And I'd add, no matter who you are, you can give God glory. As I start to wrap this up, let me read a a short article by John Piper. Uh, He puts it in a very unique way. He says, there there are two kinds of magnifying, microscope magnifying and telescope magnifying. The one makes small things look bigger than it is. The other makes big things begin to look as big as it really is. When David says, I will magnify God with thanksgiving, He does not mean I will make a small God look bigger than he is. He means I will make a big God begin to look as big as he really is. We are not called to be microscopes. We are called to be telescopes. Christians are not called to be con men who magnify their product out of proportion to reality. When they know that the competitor's product is far superior... There is nothing and nobody superior to God. And so the calling of those who love God is to make his greatness begin to look as great as it really is. The whole duty of the Christian can be summed up in this. Feel, think, and act in a way that will make God look as great as he really is. Be a telescope for the world of the infinite starry wealth of the glory of God. So I want to encourage you as we wrap up now, I want to first of all say that you can't do this unless you follow God personally. And so if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never made him your savior, 
You can't really give him glory. But think about the shepherds. When they heard the news, they didn't glorify him right away. In fact, in verse 15, they heard the news and they said, hmm, let's go check it out. And so they went and they checked it out. And then once they saw what they heard was true, in verse 20 it says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. So only once they knew it was true did they begin to praise God. And I recognize that we're all at different places spiritually. And so maybe you aren't ready today, but if you are not walking out this door as a believer, I want to encourage you, be researching, be reading, be intentional about looking into the life of Jesus Christ. And maybe there's books that you can look into, like The Case for Christ, which gives a, a, some archaeological and, and some background information on, on uh, making a case for believing in Jesus Christ. Read the stories in the gospel about him. But I want to encourage you, don't wait till it's too late. We never know how long we have. And I'm up here telling you, Jesus is wanting, he's wanting you. Have him come into your life now before it's too late. Many of us, though, have already done that. And maybe you've put your faith in him a year ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, but maybe that glory is not shining out like it should. And if that's you this morning, then I want to ask you, what is keeping you from giving glory? As we prepare in a moment to sing our last song, I want you to think about that. What's keeping you from giving glory? What's keeping you? Maybe it's sin in your life that you need to ask God to get out of your life. Maybe it's distractions that you're focused just on the wrong things in life. Maybe there's, there's just laziness going on where you need to be more intentional about it. But anyone can give God glory and everyone should give God glory. And so whether you are rich, poor, young, old, whether you've known him five years or 50 years or one year or one month, give God glory with your life. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray.